You can't say that genocide doesn't comport with our values. No, I can't it say that. It depends on the context, it Paul. On the it context. depends on the context. Justice delayed is justice denied. And that's why Jack Smith is telling the Supreme Court, let's get the show going. I'm Matt Robeson, Balance of Power Roundtable. Alicia Preston to my right. See what I did there. Paul Hodes to my left. A <laughs> former congressman, a conservative analyst, consultant, political consultant, radio host, high profile radio host. Oh, boy. I Okay, I won't tease anything you've got going. But folks, follow Alicia Preston. She's, she's got a lot going on in her radio hosting career. She's um, famous. She's a she's, famous analator. She's analator. an analator. I'm putting uh, analator uh, on a business card. Let's get right into, you, you got to be careful with it. There's, a, there's an arrested development joke in this that I'll, I'll say for when we're off the air. Let's get right into it. The big story that sort of dominated the afternoon yesterday was Jack Smith, the special counsel, prosecuting the case of election interference against Donald Trump, the events that led to January 6th, fomented January 6th, is going right to the Supreme Court to try to resolve the question of whether Trump can be prosecuted for those actions. That's Trump's legal team's case. This is very potentially significant. Smith is essentially saying, look, Trump's legal strategy is so obvious here. Delay, delay. And Jack Smith is having none of that. And he's trying to skip the appeals court level and go right to the Supreme Court so that we might face the prospect of this election interference trial happening primary calendar. Paul, our on the one hand, Jack Smith is shooting craps. It's the it, it is as the Watergate prosecutor Leon Jaworski famously said, the big casino. Will the Supreme Court allow the prosecution to skip all the steps in between and just go do not pass go, do not collect two hundred dollars? just go send Trump straight to jail. It is rare. It is not usual. The Supreme Court and the judicial system favor going through methodically all the steps. You go to the district court, you go to the court of appeals, you exhaust all that, then you go to the Supreme Court, then the Supreme Court takes its time to figure out whether or not they want to take it. So in this case, Smith is pushing the envelope just like the special prosecutor in long ago in, in the Watergate era, pushed the Supreme Court to decide whether then-President Nixon had to answer a subpoena about the famous tapes. The Supreme Court took the case. Nixon resigned within weeks after their decision. Here again, Jack Smith thinks that it is absolutely, abundantly crystal clear that, number one, Trump is not immune from prosecution, and number two, the double jeopardy clause, which prevents somebody from being tried twice for the same crime, is not invoked by a trial, quote unquote, on his impeachment in the Senate. This is it relates to judicial proceedings. So it is unlikely that the defense will prevail. And Jack Smith is feeling very confident. Alicia, obviously, a lot hinges on this, right? How much <laughs> is this the ball game? There's a recent poll that said that. 6% of Republican swing state voters would essentially rescind their vote for their intended vote for Trump if he were convicted in any of these cases. Is this indeed the ballgame here? I think it's an incredibly bold move by Jack Smith. And Supreme Court replied last evening indicating they are willing to consider hearing the case 
saying Donald Trump's team has until December 20th to respond to Jack Smith's request. I think it's it's an imperative that this decision be made. Trump wants to go through the appellate process, the long, slow appellate process. Jack Smith is saying, let's get to the end game right now. Let, let's just decide this. And I think a couple things that the Trump sycophants are saying are foolish. The idea that it's double jeopardy has already been tried. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. I would say impeachment falls under civil and this falls under criminal. And you can certainly be held both civilly and be tried both civilly and criminally for anything you do. Am I wrong about that? I don't know whether impeachment is an animal all unto itself. It is a proceeding in the legislative branch that has nothing to do with judicial proceeding. And double jeopardy, I I cannot imagine a Supreme Court holding that double jeopardy attaches to some other proceeding, not in the judicial branch, irrespective of what we call it. It just doesn't fly as an argument. And that, what you said, makes perfect sense to me. The other thing they're saying is that a president is somehow completely immune, no matter whatever he does, as president of the United States of America, he can do what he wants, he can't be held accountable. So can he actually shoot someone on Fifth Avenue if he's currently president and not be held accountable? I think that is ridiculous and silly. So I am that's very what you eager call, to see this. Uh, that's what the smart people call a reducto ad absurdum argument. It is absurd, but that is exactly what Trump's lawyers are arguing, right? It's that he literally can do anything while president. They're also arguing that his election interference and subversion and all the crimes he committed, that he can do that because it's attached to his job as president. So their argument is literally it's either I can do whatever I want or these specific actions were required of me. It's part of the job description. Okay. Look, Latin's a dead language, dead as it can be. First it killed the Romans, and now it's killing me. Do you know that's the first thing I was oh, taught while taking Latin? That's so great. I love it. So the, the idea is that Latin was the cause. <laughs> that's spectacular. Hey, speaking of things that <laughs> In might, trace might partos, gallus divisi est. Okay. On that note. Semper ubi, sub ubi. Wear underwear. Okay. Gaul is divided into three parts. I can. I remember how to sing Three Blind Mice in Latin, if anyone wants that. Just let me know. I don't even think the Romans wanted that. All right. <laughs> Speaking of things that might or might not matter, Alicia, you're all a quiver this morning. It's like that. What was that song? I can be your hero. Would you tremble? Your guy, your dude, the dude. only the only person in your orbit who rivals your actual husband. Chris, um, it, a it, different it, kind it, of adoration just for a different I know. Okay. I know. No one's actually. Sununu you know, doesn't have a beard. That's true. Or long or a ponytail. Yeah, or that's ponytail. the most salient characteristic that separates the governor and, of New Hampshire. Sununu isn't a drummer. <laughs> is the lack of a beard. Not a drummer. And, and doesn't have drum. a ponytail. Isn't a soccer anyway, rep. Anyway, people. And he's not Sununu green. My husband's hot. I'm just saying. Okay, Sununu. moving on. Oh, my God. You got me distracted. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you. Good for Thank you. Thank you. Chris Sununu totally got off track. is endorsing Nikki Haley. Yay. Um, I, I would like to offer my position on this. And Alicia... This is like that okay. Monty Python routine where you're here for an argument. Okay. No bickering, just an argument. Mm. I argue that this falls under the category of who gives a rat's ass because the Republican nominating process is pointless. Last week's Republican debate proved that to me. Who cares? The candidates on stage, they're all going after Nikki Haley because they're all too scared to go after the bad man who's not there. And they're 50 points behind. They're 50 points behind, Alicia. Chris Anunu, he's fine. Nikki nah, Haley. this is huge. Let me tell you why. All right, go ahead. Mm. Have that. So me. in New Hampshire, let's not forget, only 30% of the electorate are Republicans. 
40% are independents. 40% of projected voters are independents who have no reason to pull a Democratic ballot. Joe Biden's not even on it. They've got a write-in campaign going. So any Repu any independent who votes in the Republican primary is going to pull a Republican ballot. And most of them, the vast majority, are not for Donald Trump or they'd be a Republican right now. So we've got a major sector of the electorate with no reason to vote in the Democratic primary, with a reason to pull a Republican ballot. 80% of them are not going to vote for Donald Trump if they coalesce behind one other candidate then that other candidate can either win the numbers there or get a close enough second to rock it out of New Hampshire into other states. I think it's real. I think it's there. I think a Chris Nunu endorsement, who is arguably the most popular Republican governor in the country, as shown by election after election, he can bring those independents along. This is a guy who won with over 60 percent of the vote when both our congressional seats and our U.S. Senate seat went to Democrats. He polls independence. If he can do it with Nick for Nikki and Nikki can help herself doing it, I think we may be looking at either an upset or a number far closer to Donald Trump than what the polls that I don't believe are saying today. Here's my case for this doesn't matter. As mentioned before, all the other candidates are behind by 50 points. It's become sort of an embarrassing kids' table food fight. Ron DeSantis' super PAC had to cancel a donor event, citing waning interest. This is like a spinal tap. They're, they're not losing popularity. They're just playing to a more selective audience. In DeSantis's case, it's highly selective. Also, can I point out to you that the winner of the Iowa caucuses rarely goes on to win the Republican nomination? Same is true of the New Hampshire primary. When it's actually competitive, it doesn't tend to be particularly predictive. Let's say everything Alicia just said is true. And I'm willing to stipulate that because you know a lot more about Republican politics in New Hampshire than I do. Even then, I don't think that this really matters for the rest of the primaries. The Donald Trump managed to put sycophants in control of state parties, and Ron McDaniel has done everything in her power to put her thumb on the scale to make the nominating process as pro-Trump as possible. So let's say Nikki Haley does great in New Hampshire. Let's say she comes in with a close second. Won't matter. No comeback kid here. No Bill Clinton momentum. It's all going to get squashed by Super Tuesday. The only thing I see making a difference is the aforementioned, let's say Donald Trump gets convicted. Maybe that would matter. Paul, I'm sure you agree with me, right? One of the things I love about you, Matt, is that you're very practical. You, you always think practically and you have, you're a brilliant linear thinker. You connect all the dots and that they're all in a line. And most of the time uh, you're right because you're a very smart kid and you're very- uh, By the way, I love being called a kid these days. I actually do. I'm about to turn 50. Yeah. This yeah. is, go on, talk about yeah, my yeah. youth. Yeah, yeah. Someone I mean, calls me a girl and I'm supposed to be offended. I too am about to be 50 in a month and I'm like, call me girl. All day Pardon long. me. I, yes, look, I, I appreciate <laughs> the youth and inexperience that I'm on this panel <laughs> with, with, with both of you. I really do. But that said, I am not quite so sure it's as uh, small a deal as you're making it out to be. Because mm. I think that Chris Sununu has a certain standing. And among Republicans, those without the backbone and spine so far, uh, which is almost all of them, to stand up and be counted against Donald Trump. But that Chris Sununu is offering a path to, to, to growing a spine for Republicans who so far are the weakest, non-courageous, 
sycophant conspirators you can imagine. But what can, I'm saying Can I jump is... in to build on your point here, Paul? Can I reinforce what you're saying? Only because you happen at this moment to be agreeing with me. Can I quote to you from a recent Politico op-ed, which I thought really captured this well? At a Hoover Institution conference last week, Trump Defense Secretary, former Trump Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, who in 2020 denounced the former president as a threat to the Constitution, said retired generals need to go silent during elections, argued that American people do not need military officers telling them how to vote. Jody Ernst, Republican senator of Iowa, was on the same panel, said that the former president is dominating the leadoff Iowa caucuses, quote, it's all Trump. Yet Ernst explained she could not intervene to try and stop him in her home state because she's concerned about jeopardizing our first in the nation nominating status. Republicans have not exactly been covering themselves in glory when it comes to, oh, yeah, we're really against Trump. He is terrible. We're not going to say or do anything to back that up. I would submit to you guys and to all of our viewers and listeners that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We've now had eight years of confirmation that the Republican Party, again, apologies, Alicia, the Republican Party is populated by spineless jellyfish who have not evolved since the Cambrian explosion and who essentially are too afraid of the bad man to actually do anything. So expecting that they're going to change their behavior in the future is a fool's errand. Even if Nikki Haley overperforms in the New Hampshire primary, I, 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 they will see the same writing on the wall and say, it's donezo. I want to maintain my career as a professional Republican. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. On the other hand, given what you've said, I have this image in my head of Republicans in loincloths holding wooden spears being eaten by Tyrannosaurus Rex. So what? whatever. No, no, no. That's Mike Johnson's thing. You see, according to Mike Johnson, they would have saddled up. How are you people talking about? This is a true story. Hey, Alicia, your boy, Mike Johnson, the Republican speaker of the House. What the hell are you people talking about? Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Dinosaurs. Donald Trump is the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and the Republicans are are in loincloths holding wooden spears. Tiny trying, hands. Yeah, tiny little hands. That they're short arts. But meanwhile, because it's abnormal. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, Chris and New look now both the governors of Iowa and New Hampshire have endorsed candidates other than Trump. So Matt is essentially right. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. But the big but is. American politics are unusual these days. I thought you were going to say stupid. That's a good euphemism. Unpredictable. That if Trump is, in fact, convicted, you know, Matt, we've had people on this show, Republicans of conscience, who've said, hey, if he's convicted, that's a game changer. And if, in fact, it turns out to be a game changer when the great orange pumpkin is matched with a great orange jumpsuit, then you never know. You never. You it's never not going to change the nominating process is my only point. And by the way, speaking of American politics being unusual, in a new study this week, when you remove Florida as a swing state from the equation, which you should because it's no longer a swing state, only 18% of American voters reside in an actual swing state and are going to have an actual say in who our next president is. Highly unusual, people. Highly unusual. Can we get to... The story that sort of dominated the weekend at the end of last week, it was Saturday Night Live's cold open. It's Elise Stefanik's star turn. I, I hate to use that phrase in connection with that person. Um, going after the university presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania. 
I just want to quote from the exchange for anyone who missed. This is what happened. And again, I'm no fan of Elise Stefanik. Okay. She asks these three. And by the way, it's awesome that these university presidents are all women. That's fantastic. It's a good point that we've reached in society. The goodness ends there. She says, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying and harassment? She demanded of Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University. Dr. Gay responds, it can be depending on the context. What's the context? Congresswoman Stefanik shot back. Targeted at an individual, Dr. Gay said. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals, Ms. Stefanik said. Ms. Stefanik had asked the same question, phrased the same way of all three university leaders and received similar equivocating responses, the, the, the worst of which was from Elizabeth McGill, the president of UPenn. She said, if the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, to which Congresswoman Stefanik said, conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? What the hell, people? I don't know, Alicia, what the hell? funny, but it, look, I want, yeah, I wish I or on Stefanex comms team. I don't actually want to be on Stefanex comms team, but just for this moment, because I would have had two follow-up questions for her ready to go. They would have been, does calling for the genocide of LGBTQ people violate Harvard's rules on billing and harassment? The follow-up to that would have been, does calling for the genocide of Black Americans violate Harvard's rules on bullying harassment? Because I kind of feel like she, they would have answered those questions differently. And I wish they were asked them. This morning, there was communication that Dr. Gay, who has come under unrelated fire for miscitation. My gosh, what a stupid, causative environment academics live in. Miscitation in previously published articles. The trustees communicate. They're called the fellows. Of course they are. By the way, I'm anyway, I'm going to dunk on Harvard as much as I want. I, I paid them enough money. They've said that they're going to retain her as president. But Alicia, I got to say, I got to say, she's apologized since then. I do feel like that this is part one in a three-step process that leads to her resigning. Because I think the answers to your questions are really troubling. I, I, I think she would really struggle to answer those questions and to deal with the parallel there. Paul? It's challenging to be smart. Sometimes if you're smart... <laughs> You overthink. And yet you've borne this burden your whole life. Oh, man. I know. We're all sad for you, Paul. I'm not equivocating. You're a Dartmouth dude. I know. Dartmouth is the least. Dartmouth, Harvard, Plymouth State. And yet we're all in the same podcast. Wait a second. Dartmouth Dartmouth is the least intellectual (laughs) of the Ivy League schools. It's the party. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no, stop. It's the place to go for beer on tap. Anyway, look. So it's a problem. It's a real burden to be smart because you get all these competing thoughts shooting through your brain. There you are sitting in front of these stupid members of Congress who you know are stupid, who came from little lives as regular people to become members of Congress. And they're asking you this and it's you're and the camera is hot and the lights are hot and you're trying to you're trying to figure out an answer that is contextual, that appreciates all sides, that really there are very fine people on both sides. Can I make a point, though, before we carry on? Because everyone's been talking about this, and the question people keep saying is, why did they answer it that way? Why 
why did they answer it that way? And, and here's my theory on it, is that because these academics, or as Spiro Agnew once referred for these effete intellectuals of the Northeast, why is there so much hate toward Jews on college campuses right now? Why is there so much ignorance over what Hamas is and what has Hamas done? Why do these academics refuse to acknowledge it? And here is my opinion of the answer and that it is not about anti-Semitism at all. It is about anti-Americanism. It is holding the belief that whatever America stands for is wrong and we will take the opposite side. I don't even think they realize it. I think it is ingrained. And that's where this all stems from. I see it slightly differently, slightly. They had hoisted themselves on their own petard by their actions over the last decade. There's, if you look at, it's it's an easy Google. I, I won't belabor it. I'll, I'll spare people. Look it up on your own time if you want. But when you look at the multiple cases of universities coming down on students and professors for what could easily be described as speech, and for microaggressions and for violations of policies. The university presidents who had to cower in fear at upset students who claimed that their actions or their speech had somehow tarnished their psyches. And you see the accommodations, the bending over backwards that have been made to fit with this vibe. So if they had answered, yes, of course that's bullying and harassment, then the next question, which I'm sure Congresswoman Stefanik did have at her disposal, is what about this case? What about that case? And if you say, no, it's not, then you are rightly subject to being called anti-Semitic and you're going to get fired. By so, so what happens if in, in the interest of accommodating everybody and everything, the university presidents had, had simply answered, calling for genocide in any form against any people is completely unacceptable, and it's unacceptable on our campus and in our community. What if they had said that? Um, that would have been the right answer. But to Matt's point, instead, we have intellectual leaders of our academic institutions creating safe spaces with coloring books for 20-year-old adults for the last decade. And this is the position they've put themselves in. And Matt's 100% right. Of course, Paul, that's the correct answer. Why they are too hung up on themselves and what the position they've put themselves in to Matt's point for the last 10 years, is what got them wrong. But what still ticks me off is the answer would have been different for black Americans, and it would have been different for members of the LGBT community. It would have been different for Palestinians. It probably would have been different for Hamas. I can't disagree with any of that. And again, I, the problem that they started to develop was a decade old when they started to essentially curtail free speech. There are multiple examples. There's a project at NYU, ironically, tracking all of this stuff, the multiple professors who have been fired for essentially speech and the students who have been punished for essentially speech and the enforcement of all of those policies. It's just the inconsistency and the hypocrisy would have immediately become obvious and it's been exposed. And what they really needed was a time machine to go back and to stand up to students who were starting to demand trigger warnings and and safe spaces and to say, no, we do not do that here. You are going to be exposed to speech you don't like. And that's it. That is the policy. And by the way, I, I say this as a Jewish dude. There are times where people say ignorant things to me is what it is. It's speech. Am I a little bit offended? Am I a little bit put off by 
their stupidity. Yes, but I, that's the world. So uh, anyway, I just, I think they're in a no-win situation. I don't know that Dr. Gay survives this, the president of Harvard. I, I, I don't know that, I don't know that she does in her position. All right, let's move on. Oh, what should we pick from here? There's so much great stuff going grab on. Bag of- a grab bag of goodies. Should we discuss the fact that the one of the Republican candidates for George Santos's seat was just convicted <laughs> in a January 6th case and in his trial said he was unaware of the fact that Congress convened at the Capitol? Um, should we? No, just skip that one. Anyone's Except allowed to run for Congress. Maybe this one goes under the category of the American political system is what was the euphemism we used, Paul? Unusual. It's unusual. All right. Like, Exciting so- about the whole George Santos thing. Do you know? He since his departure from Congress, he's been doing these things. He started two hundred dollars and you can pay him to do a little video on for cameo. You. Yeah, on, on cameo. cameo. Why and don't we get him on the show? Why don't we pay him? Because now it's up to four hundred bucks. I actually have a fun programming note. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do, because people have heard me say this on this show many times before. The best, most accurate film ever made about the realities of politics and particularly Congress, is not Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's nothing on the West Wing, which I assure you is entirely wrong about most things. It's That's the how Distinguished I Gentleman. Politics. Yeah, no, it's not. Remember when you were in office and I told you, watch The Distinguished Gentleman, the 1992 Eddie Murphy movie. It is, it's about a con man who cons his way into Congress. The guy who wrote that movie has agreed to come on our show and talk about it. Um, oh, that's cool. I, I'm oh, yeah. really excited about this. So I want to be on that one. Programming note, you're invited, man. Okay. All right. So just hang on for that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Here's where I'd like to go. This is like your wine and cheese pairing. I'd like to put two two stories together. On the one hand. Which one's wine and which one's cheese? Maybe by wine. The first one is me whining. Second one is cutting the cheese. All right. So the first one is the news on Friday that the U.S. economy added 199,000 jobs. Why does that matter? Because it's actually not a huge number. It's mm. not a tiny number. It's just right. That's what an economic analyst said. Almost perfect. It brings in view the soft landing that economists and policymakers have been looking for somewhere between high inflation and economic recession. We seem to be on that path. In fact, a striking statistic is that the stretch of months with unemployment under 4% set a new record. The, the, the longest stretch of months with incredible low unemployment, the longest in 50 years. And you pair this with the fact that this week, House Republicans are going to vote to impeach President Biden based upon absolutely zero evidence. Zero evidence. Alicia, which of those would you like to pick up on? Pick up on both real quick. Let me start with the latter. As someone who is not a supporter of Joe Biden, I think Congress needs to get their head out of their ass and stop wasting time on nonsense like this. He has done nothing that is impeachable. He has done something. He has done several things that I think should make him unreelectable, unless he goes against Donald Trump, of course. But he's done nothing impeachable. It's nonsense. I want to say something on the Hunter Biden thing. Did Joe Biden allow Hunter to use his father's name to make himself money? My answer is I hope so. That's what dads are supposed to do. And moms, they're supposed to allow, we've discussed before, I'm a fan of nepotism. I unfortunately don't have a benefit of any nepotism. I would take it in a heartbeat. And the idea that every single person out there making believe 
they would not let their child benefit from their name financially or otherwise, you're lying. And if you think Joe Biden should be impeached for doing what every other parent, do you know there's something in New Hampshire called charitable gaming? They are these little casinos. They benefit over a thousand charities across the state. My daughter I've always went thought to, this was stupid, by the way. But my daughter on. went to a nonprofit to a charitable school. She went to a, a charter school. Do you think I didn't pick up the phone and as soon as there's an opening, make sure my kid's school was on the beneficiary list? Of course I did. That's the best I can do. I'm not president of the United States. This is what parents do for their children. Is it wrong? There's a line. Do I care? Not a wink. In fact, I have called the White House personnel office and asked that Joe Biden adopt me. I've decided that my way uh, to... He can, he's actually old him, enough where I, that's plausible. I, 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 want him, I want to adopt me. There's one point I disagree with, which is we can have a, a policy argument another time. Oh, I forgot about that. I got off on the Hunter thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Joe Biden's performance on the economy and on every other issue has actually been pretty darn good. And I think if we broke it down piece by piece, there's a lot more that you agree with that he's done that then you disagree. But regardless, I want to pick up on your statement. You like nepotism. You know what that reminds me of? Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the former senator from New York, a legend in Congress, a good friend of mine, was a staffer for him. And actually, you know what? Former Congressman Dan Maffei is that friend. He was previously a staffer for Moynihan, and he did an uncanny Moynihan impression, which is almost as good and relevant as your Spiro Agnew impression. And apparently <laughs> Moynihan, when they were reviewing like online porn regulations, used to say, I like smut, but it's bad for <laughs> children. <laughs> so there you go. By the way, that's a that's pretty good as a policy. I think there's something in that for libertarians. I think there's something in that for liberals. And I think there's something in that for conservatives. But I, I just want to I want to very briefly respond to our analyzer's concerns about inflation by saying that I finally agree that Joe Biden caused the avian flu that caused the spike in egg prices, and he should accept responsibility uh, for injecting those chickens with the flu and then time. and go on because America loves a redemption. And then he could say, I'm so sorry that I caused the avian flu, but at least I... At hey, Paul, least what's weird about what you just said? I, again, you're being tongue-in-cheek. What's weird is that there is a significant portion of Americans <laughs> who simultaneously not only believe that, but they simultaneously hold in their minds two conflicting ideas. They both believe President Biden is a doddering, senile dementia case, and also that he is a dark Brandon-level evil genius capable of perpetrating acts like you just described. And this actually, that's not the case. Not bother them at all. Oh, really? No, from the from the people you're talking about, that group, they do believe that Joe Biden is a, a dawdling, too old, so whatever you long use, word yeah, yeah, you yeah. just use. I can't remember. I went to Plymouth. He went to Harvard, but <laughs> but they do believe that. But they don't believe he's calling the shots. There's this deep state that is behind him oh, for which right. he is the puppet. The reverse vampires. So they're not giving him credit for being the brain. They're saying he's the puppet of these dark lords. Fun mm -hmm. true story about that. Donald Trump, who on multiple occasions forgot who the president of the United States was, that what you just said was his alibi. He actually went on Fox News 
to explain <laughs> the fact that he had confused matters in a campaign rally in New Hampshire, by the way. Maybe you were there. I know you're a super oh. And he had mixed up who the current president was. And so when the Fox News host tried to give him like a soft landing, oh, he made the mistake again. He's like, you mean President Biden? He's like, no, Barack Obama is the president, really, in case you didn't know that. So there you go. That's a real Was thing. that the right, same let... interview? He said he wanted to be dictator, but only for a day. That No, that was a different interview, which he mm. also cleaned up in a very Trumpian way by doubling down. It's, yes. it's amazing. Hey. I think there's a chance that we may have buried the lead. I am going to be a little bit serious here toward the end of the show. We talk about what we think are the most significant political stories, not always the, the most topical, but the things that we think have lasting significance. A story from the last couple of days, I think there's a chance might have the most lasting significance for the 2024 elections. And that is the case of the woman in Texas who doctors said is carrying a fetus with a lethal abnormality and that carrying the fetus to term could cause her to be infertile in the future. She would like an abortion. She has two kids. She would like to have more kids. This is a fetus that is non-viable and obviously continuing to carry the fetus could significantly impact her health and safety. And court agreed that she could qualify for an exception to Texas's highly restrictive abortion law. Texas Attorney General and felon, Ken Paxton, true story, responded with a letter to hospitals saying that if they followed through and performed an abortion, that they would not be insulated from enforcement of Texas laws. In other words, we will haul you into court and you could go to prison if you do this. And then the Texas Supreme Court stepped in to not allow her to get the abortion and she promptly left the state for another state. She is a refugee to another state. The Texas Supreme Court, by the way, is nine big buckle, big hat, big boot wearing Texans, Republicans. Yes, they're all compensating for something. I raise this because they're all hat and no cattle. I raise this because we've already heard a report that there are efforts underway to raise uh, abortion freedoms, uh, abortion protection as a referendum issue in Montana, where Senator Tester is on the ballot. It's going to be one of the toughest Senate seats for Democrats to defend. Brings to mind the experience in 2004 when there were efforts to put marriage protection referenda on state ballots in an effort to help then-President George W. Bush. Carl Rove was the architect behind this. There's mixed evidence about whether that was effective. But we've seen in recent months that every time there's an abortion protection referendum on a ballot, it draws heavy turnout and heavy support. And there's pretty good evidence that this could be a major lever in the 2024 elections. And a story like this will really resonate with voters. I'm just suggesting that it's something to keep a close eye on. And of course, my fingers are crossed for the woman in this situation whose health is in peril and now has to flee to another state to get the care that she really should get. Any further thoughts, guys? It just shows that it's completely untenable and frankly, un-American to strip women of their rights. It is, it's aberrant and it's Texas. But on the other hand, to the extent that it represents the movement that 
has galvanized the Republican Party that seems to be the raison d'etre of the Republican Party. It disgusts me, and I hope she's safe, and I have nothing good to say about the use of the judicial system to strip an Amer Americans, American women, and families of their rights to the integrity of their own bodies. It is a, it's awful. It's just, it's one of the saddest chapters in American history playing out. And I hope it does have the consequences at the ballot box that, we, that we've talked about. Republicans should go down in flaming defeat over this issue. Women should be up in arms, marching on state capitals and the United States Capitol about this issue. And I'd be there with them. I'm going to take the political side of this for a moment, because I think this is where politicians and political talking heads from a national standpoint get it wrong every time. And that is under the assumption that everyone is an absolutist when it comes to being pro-life or pro-choice. The vast majority of Americans, I'm pro-life. I obviously think this woman should have had access to an abortion and she should have qualified for one. And I have my limits. There's a gray area to what pro-life is. There's a gray area to what pro-choice is. The vast majority of pro-choicers do not believe you should be able to have an abortion at nine months. And everyone out there talking is talking as though there's one side or the other when almost all of us are somewhere in the middle of that, whether it's more pro-life than pro-choice. And, and politicians lose it. Look, in New Hampshire, someone just, a couple people, submitted a bill to the New Hampshire legislature to ban abortion with no exceptions after 15 days. 15 days, not 15 weeks, 15 days when most women wouldn't even know if they're pregnant, let alone all the medical complications or other things that could come with that. Look, that bill is going to die quickly and it's going to burn and it should. And there'll be pro-lifers who are saying that bill should burn. I think from a political standpoint, politicians have to start recognizing where the American electorate is and they don't. That was very eloquent, and I think we should leave it there on that note. I will inject one other kind of down note into the discussion because we've had a lot of fun here. We can't let that continue. Alexei Navalny, the uh, outspoken Putin critic, is now missing from prison. His accounts, he, he can't be accounted for. His whereabouts are unknown. His attorneys are trying to locate him. He's been imprisoned in a penal colony. It's just a reminder to the powers that be in Congress, especially I'm sorry to say it, the Republican powers that be who are opposing further aid to Ukraine, that this is who you're backing when you oppose aid to Ukraine in their life and death struggle against this murderous dictator. You're backing Vladimir Putin. Let's make I don't no think bones we can depart the show without Paul demonstrating to us exactly who Vladimir Putin is. Victor Navalny fell from window in cell. Uh, terrible, terrible tragedy. I have nothing to do with it. Yes, exactly. Like mm -hmm. all people who oppose Vladimir Putin in his murderous dictatorial. And on that kind of somber note, for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time.